All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Um, Matthew chapter 2 is where you can turn to. That's where we're going to start today. Um, we'll be in Matthew most of the time. Um, but this is week number three of our Christmas series called A Voyage to the Manger. And we're taking um, a look at the majority of the characters in the Christmas story. And we're looking at their voyage either to the manger or due to the manger um, and the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're celebrating that. We're looking at what the reason for the season really is. And, and I want you to really think about about where you are on your voyage um, with Jesus. And, and as we get into this time where we're really focusing on Jesus, what does that really mean to you? Um, how is that affecting your life? How is that making change in your life? Is it making any change? Is it, is it a place where you're like, hey man, I'm just kind of stuck and, and I, need to, I need to figure out how to move forward? Well, let me, let me kind of set this message up like this where we're going today. And, and I'll start out with a confession. Christmas time, is the hardest time of the year to preach. Um, second to this is Easter. So the Christmas season and Easter, these, these are difficult. Next week is going to be really hard because everyone's going to come in and they're going to expect the, the same story that we hear every year. And, and that's, that's the deal. Like we all know the story. Nothing in thousands of years has changed. Like there's not one new detail that anybody has uncovered or discovered to say, hey, you know what? It happened more like this instead of like this and maybe like it's they've been trying to disprove it for thousands of years but they can't and and the the thing is is that year after year after year after year after year it's the same thing Jesus was born in a manger he grew up and, and became a man and and he went to a cross and he lived this after living this sinless life he, he goes to the cross and he goes to a tomb and he raises again and and because of that we're forever changed and so to get there and to understand that and then and then to make it a little bit more relatable into our lives by looking at the individuals in there it, it is one of those things that as a communicator you're like okay I want everybody to get on the same page at the beginning that's always my goal like what can I do to get us on the same page well today thinking about trying to get everybody on the same page it wasn't really that difficult um, because for me as I mentioned last week the Christmas season for many of us if you were to use one word to describe this time of year for you, you would maybe, probably, most likely use the word chaos, right? Now, now chaos doesn't necessarily mean bad because some people are like, oh, I love Christmas. Christmas is awesome. Christmas is the most joyous time of the year. Just you talking like that is chaotic, right? You, You understand, even for you, if you love Christmas, it's chaos. You're running around, you're thinking about things, you're trying to find the perfect gift, you go to this place to try to find it's not there, you're running around, you're freaking out. It's chaos. Like, like, like Christmas brings chaos into even like the most simple situations. For example, like think about this. For the first year you're married, if a real tree person marries a fake tree person, chaos, yes or no? Yeah, he knows. Oh, yeah. Like, let me do a really quick survey. How many of you are fake tree people? Raise your hand. Yes. These are the people who love Jesus right here. I guess... That's it. Real tree people, like, I get it. It's the experience, Pastor. You get to go out, and you cut down the tree, and it's cold, and everybody, you get hot cocoa and mice. I know. I get it. I don't want that experience. I like to be warm. 
roll into Walmart, fake tree. It's already got lights on it and everything. You like the experience? Praise Jesus for you. Chaos. Like Christmas is chaos for people when you're trying to figure out which family to go to, right? We went to your family last year. We've got to go to my family this year. And then, and then everybody has got one member in one part of the family that they're just hanging on. You know, this is going to be my last Christmas, son. You're probably going to do, Dad, you've been dying for five years. All right, so like... Get on with it or quit guilting me. I don't, I'm not, that's probably not right for me to say. But anyway, it's, it's chaos. Traffic this time of year. Chaos, yes or no? I went to Omaha this week and oh! Traffic, just confession. This is, again, my therapy time. Hi, I'm Ryan. Traffic causes me to go backwards in my walk with Jesus. It, it just does because it's absolute chaos. And I know, like, I'm from Indianapolis. I'm used to traffic, but there's not a lot of traffic here in Carroll, and I've gotten used to no traffic. And so when I go back to the big city and it's there, oh, dear Jesus. Now, what's beautiful about this and where I'm going with this, the very first Christmas, the very first Christmas that ever happened was chaos. In fact, it was so chaotic, nobody knew it was Christmas. You'll probably get that on the way home. Now, you got to stay with me, and you got to work with me on this, because I, I need to set this up. And, and what I'm going to say, to start this, like this is a mind-blowing concept, and you're going to have to maybe Google this to, to understand this. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But the Roman Empire, at the time of the first Christmas, when Jesus was born, they, they were the most dominant empire in the entire world. And they were trying to figure out how to tax their people in a way that they could get more money from their people in order so they could sustain their growing government. Can you believe there was such a time that a nation did that to their people? I know it's really hard to believe. It's difficult. You can Google it. But anyway, um, they came up with this thing called a census, and they implied it to the entire Roman world. Everybody in the Roman world had to go to their hometown and register for the census, which wasn't really a big deal for most people. Because for most people in that time period, you were born, you grew up, and you died in the same hometown. But for Joseph, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, the guy who was engaged to, to, to Mary, he had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it was chaotic. It was it was difficult. He had to take his, his 13 to 14-year-old fiance. He had to put her on a donkey, and they had to travel. And, and there was no room in the end going through this dangerous, difficult time. Like, we know the story, right? There, there's no room. There's, there's no Airbnb. There's no Hampton, no anything. And so they stay in some cave, most likely a sheep cave, outside of Bethlehem. And it was complete chaos. And into that chaos, into that crazy world, Jesus stepped in. It, it's crazy to me to think about this. Like, like to me, thinking about the Savior of the world, the, the creator of the universe, like stepped in to chaos. Not born in a palace, not born in a temple, not born in a sanctuary somewhere, not, not, not born as this, 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 this perfect place but he stepped into chaos. And it's a reminder to me that Jesus doesn't run from our chaos. He actually runs to it because he stepped into it. Chaos is a great reminder to me of our need for Jesus. 
It really is. When life is falling apart, when chaos is happening, even when it's the good chaos, it's time for us to pause and just be like, Jesus, I need you. Because Jesus isn't saying, hey, you need to get all of your stuff together, then I'll step in. Jesus, like, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's true for me. Sometimes he'll go, hey, Ryan, you ready? Mm-mm. No, you're not ready? All right, well, um, I'm going to blow that up. And you're trying to do this, Ryan, instead of doing what I want you to do, so I'm going to blow that up. Are you ready now? <laughs> yes, Jesus. Okay, then I'll step in. So, again, with all that in mind, we've been talking about this voyage to the manger. Um, the two groups of people that we're going to look at today, because we've, we've already looked at the shepherds last week. In week one, we looked at Mary and Joseph. Um, today, we're going to look at two groups of people that don't actually make it to the manger, but they're affected by the birth at the manger, and, and they're, they're trying to do something about it, like they have the information about it, and, and they're, trying to, they're trying to wrap their minds around what they need to do. Now, again, one of the things I've asked you over the past couple of weeks, and I'm going to ask you this again at the end of this message, to consider where you are in your walk, in your voyage with Jesus. Because as we look at the people in the Christmas story, they're not perfect people who had it all together. They were people just like you and me, trying to navigate through the chaos, each of them anticipating an encounter with the Savior of the world. And if there's one thing that I can get you to know today, if there's one thing I want you to walk out with today, it's this, anticipate an encounter with the Savior. Because he's alive, and he's closer than you think. So, let's, let's dive into the story here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I love, love, love the first three words of this verse. Jesus was born. Say that out loud. Jesus was born. Jesus was born. Those first three words right there are absolutely mind-blowing. Jesus, the Son of God, creator of the universe, humbled himself, became a man, and was born. Not just a man. A baby who, again, grew up, lived this sinless life, went to the cross, died for our sins, rose again from the grave, and is alive today. Walked the earth as Savior, knowing exactly what he was going to do, knowing his mission, knowing he was going to go to the cross, knowing from before he even left heaven to come down to be born what he was going to do for you and for me. Jesus was born. Prophecy fulfilled right there in that statement. That's crazy. Anyway, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. King Herod. Now, Herod was a king. That's going to be very important, all right? King Herod. About that same time, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, the wise men were... They were living in like, um, what is today, modern-day Iran and Iraq, that, that area um, of, of Israel. Um, and they're going to Jerusalem. This is a long journey. Most scholars believe it took months, months, months. Say that. Say months. Months. It took a long time. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a long time. Long, months is a long time. That's important. I'm going to come back to that. Super important. Most of you know where I'm going with it. Verse 2. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? That's problematic. I'll show you that in a second. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, the wise men have traveled from Iran, Iraq, to Jerusalem. And, and many times we believe that it's just three people, right? We have the song, we three kings of Orient are smoking on the super cigar. I don't know how you sang it, but that's, in my head, that's how, that's how it goes. Um, it's not three, 
right? It, it, there, there, were three, there were three gifts that are recorded in the Bible, and we'll talk about that in this message too. There are three gifts, but this is a caravan of people. This is, this is maybe up to hundreds of people who are, who are on camels, and they're traveling, and they've got donkeys, and, and these people roll into Jerusalem, and, and they're so much different than everybody else around them. You ever been in a place you don't belong or, or thought you were somewhere that you should be, but you really shouldn't be? I'm sure we could go around this room, we could tell lots of stories. Um, I've been in that situation way too many times. Um, one of the ones that I love to tell here is um, I was in Des Moines um, at the mall one time, and, and I was walking around, and, uh, and I had to go to the bathroom, but John Sampson has sent me a, te- oh, I shouldn't tell you his name, um, sent me a, 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 an email, and I'm reading the email, and, and John's emails are super long. They just are. If you ever got one from him, listen, the first line and the last line, that's all that's important. Like, that's it. That's, that's all you need to know. But I'm reading this thing because I don't really know that yet. And I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading. I look up and I see the bathroom. And so I'm reading and I'm walking in and I get into the bathroom and I put my phone down and I get ready and I look around and there are no standees. And then I turn around and there's a group of women just looking at me. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I should be here. <laughs> I'm not in the right place. And I walked out, and they probably said idiot pastor from Central. But anyway, the wise men didn't belong. Like, like they just didn't because they weren't Jewish, and now they're in the land of the Jews. In today's world, we would say that they're, they're not Christians, that they, they shouldn't be around in Christian groups and Christian circles. Like, they were so far away from Jesus geographically and spiritually, it wasn't even funny. And here's what's crazy. How did they meet Jesus, or how do they, how do they eventually get to Jesus? Well, they're looking into the sky, and they saw what? A star. This is called astrology. And according to Hebrew scriptures, this was a sin. And the Jewish people would have known that. I, I was out here um, Wednesday. Wednesday, there was a meteor shower. Anyone see that? Like, it was pretty cool. It was pretty sweet. I'd, like, laid on the ground and at 10 o'clock at night and watched them and then froze and thought I was going to stick to the ground and die and the staff was going to come out and find me. But I just think I was taking a nap and so they weren't going to help me. But, but listen, the wise men sinned. I wasn't sinning because I was thinking of this message and the wise men the whole time just to cover my basis in case it's still sin. Anyway, they weren't Jewish and essentially they're sinning. And so instead of blowing them up, instead of some, sending some angel, because during this time, Jesus, God was sending angels all the time to tell people certain things. Instead of sending an angel to blow them up for their sinful behavior, because listen, ungodly people are going to do ungodly things, yes or no? You'd say yes. Ungodly people are going to do ungodly things. And so instead of sending an angel to these ungodly men, rebuking them, God says, hey, you know what? That's where they are. That's fine. I'm going to speak their language. I'm going to meet them where they are, and I'm going to bring them to where they need to be. That's what he did with the wise men. That's what he still does with us today. These guys are so far away from God. They're not even thinking about God. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to meet you where you are, you're doing something sinful, and I'm going to use it to bring you to Jesus. I love that Matthew writes about this, because Matthew, this, this is fascinating. I believe that the other gospel writers don't, don't include this story in their gospels. Actually, Luke's the only one that tells us the, the whole Christmas story, but he doesn't put this in. But Matthew does. And I think the reason that Matthew includes this is because this is what happened to Matthew, Matthew, before he met Jesus, anybody remember what Matthew did? He was a tax collector. And in Jewish society, tax 
tax collecting was like the worst sin imaginable. If, if you were collecting taxes, you were an evil, wicked person because you were robbing from your own people. You were, you were going to hell. There was no hope at all for you to have a relationship with God, to be made right in the sight of God, for righteousness to be declared upon you if you were a tax collector. And Jesus walks up to Matthew while he's collecting taxes. In the Bible, we're told he's in his tax collector booth, and Jesus walks up to him and doesn't say, hey, knock it off. He doesn't say, hey, sinner. He doesn't say, you're wrong. He doesn't say you need to quit and stop right now today and repent, bow down before my father. Jesus says, hey, Matthew, follow me. That's crazy. That'd be like the equivalent of me walking out the door today, seeing a drug deal going down in our parking lot, which it's central, so it might not be too far off. I'm not sure. But seeing a drug deal go down, and after the deal takes place, me walking over and saying, hey, man, um, I see that you've got like a really solid business mind like you're doing really well why don't you come be on staff all right like that's that's essentially what's happening right here that's what jesus did to matthew jesus doesn't say knock it off stop collecting taxes that that's why that's why this is a huge 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 deal to me that matthew includes this because religion says change and you can follow me right like you can go to certain churches and they say okay you're not allowed to come in here You can't be in here with us until you make some changes. You've got a t-shirt on that's got a band name on it. You've got a t-shirt on it that's advertising beer. Like, that's not Christian. You can't do certain things. You've got to have a certain hairstyle. You've got to go to only certain movies. You've got to adjust your lifestyle. You've got to quit listening to that music. Once you make changes, then you can come in and belong to us. That's what religion says. But Jesus says, hey, follow me and you will change. Because Jesus knows that we can't meet him and stay the same. We're going to change. I'll prove it to you at the end of the text. So the wise men show up to a place that they don't belong. And, and they roll in. And all these people are like, man, what, what are you guys doing here? Like, this, 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 is, this is crazy. Like, is the carnival coming to town? Like, what is happening? And they say, hey, guys, um, we were looking at the stars. And all the religious people are like, you were doing what? Get away. Everybody back away. Kids, get away. Everybody move. We can't be near these people. They're looking at the stars, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but see, the star had told us that this is a place where, where a king was born, and, and that's where the problem starts. Because they say, where's the, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, notice this. They say, again, where's the newborn what? King. Let's say it together on three. One, two, three. King. Now, that's a problem because verse 2, the first two words are what? King Herod. See, when you are the king and somebody asks you where the new king is at and, and you're just finding out, that's problematic. And so it says King Herod was deeply disturbed, not just disturbed, deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, <laughs> most of us... We're not going to say these out loud, but most of us probably have a word or, or we have some words that we just don't like. Like somebody says that word around us, we just, we just cringe. Um, I have a word like that. Nobody knows what it is, and I'm not going to tell anybody because it's my word, and I don't like it. And when I tell you things like that, like, like when I tell you my early childhood fears of the Kool-Aid man, you like to tease me and make fun of me. And so I'm not going to tell you this because you'll say it around me all the time. But we all have words like that, right? We all have words that we don't like. I can almost guarantee you a word King Herod didn't like said around him was the word king. He didn't want to hear about other kings. And he definitely didn't want to hear about a newborn king because he was king. Herod was king. 
And if somebody shows up and you're the king and they say, hey, where's the new king? Like nobody's informed you, nobody's told you anything about this, you're a little bit bothered. And what we're about to see about Herod from from history and, and what you can read in the Bible is Herod didn't have a problem with certain things. Herod didn't have a problem with religion. Herod didn't have a problem with temple worship. Herod didn't have a problem with sacrifices being made. Herod didn't even have a problem with people talking to God. Herod had a problem with acknowledging Jesus as king. Now, Christmas, this time of year, that's, that's easy for us to focus on, that Jesus is king. He was born king, and, and he was, Mary was told that her son was going to be born, and, and he was going to be king, and his kingdom was going to reign forever and ever. And, and so it's an easy time for us to, to focus on Jesus as king, and, and not just this idea of, well, you know, Jesus is somebody I talk to when I feel bad. Jesus is somebody I go to when I need help. Jesus is somebody that, that I think about when life is going bad. When I have a need, I talk to Jesus. No, 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 no. We need to be saying Jesus is king. Not only that, but Jesus is my king. See, that's what sets Christianity apart, is that Jesus is king. I, I love it when people tell me all world religions are essentially the same. I hear that a lot, especially this time of year. You know, Christianity is, is just the same as everything else. Christianity doesn't stand out. We're all the same. All religions are exactly the same. No, we're not. No, no we're not. If you say that, like, number one, that statement tells me you've never studied the other religions. And, and, and number two, do you know that pagans, like, like people who don't even worship God, acknowledge that all religions are different just in the way they cuss? Think about it. Think about it. Like, like nobody, you've never seen anybody at work get super mad at someone or something and go, oh, Buddha, damn it. Have you? No, they throw God's name into it, don't they? You've never seen anybody go, oh, Muhammad. Doesn't happen, does it? Joseph H. Smith. No. See, people who don't even know God acknowledge God is different because they use his name in vain when they curse instead of other world religions. I'm just throwing it out there. That's my free Christmas gift to you. You can use the Buddha thing at work tomorrow. Anyway, verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is this king? Where is this Lord? Hey, if there is a king that's coming, where is he supposed to be born? And they replied, in Bethlehem, for this is what the prophet wrote. Then they quote him a verse, which is always good to back up your argument with a Bible verse. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come for you who will be the, what's that word say? Shepherd. Remember we talked about that last week? Jesus is the good shepherd. The shepherd for my people Israel. I love that. Now, Here's what else I love. This is crazy. Bethlehem is six miles away from Jerusalem. Six miles. Like you can literally see parts of Bethlehem um, from Jerusalem. Like King Herod would have easily been able to see in, in his high rise, like mega compound, he would have been easily able to see it. And Herod is going to miss Jesus by six miles. These guys come and have a Bible study with him. They tell him exactly what's going to happen. They answer his question. They tell him exactly where he's supposed to be born, and he's going to miss him by six miles. He had information. He just didn't apply it. Here's what's crazy. I was thinking about that the other day, about not applying the information that, that you have. Um, about four or five months ago, I went to the doctor, 
It's her regular checkup. And um, she was going over my chart, and I was sitting on a little table, and uh, she's on her computer screen. And I look over the computer screen, and it's kind of going through some of my stuff. But, like, sort of flashing at me were, were these two words, severely obese. I was offended, but I sort of joked with her and put it on like, hey, doc, um, that really shouldn't be there. Like, why is that there? And she tried to, like, generalize it away. And I'm like, no, man, that's like, that's crazy. And so I'm like kind of getting animated. I know you can't see me getting animated with anybody. And so I'm getting like that. And I left ticked off. Like, I'm like, I can't believe she put that there. And that's blah, 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 blah. The next morning, I stepped on the scale. And I was like, you know what? She right. That's not the doctor's fault. It's mine. I should probably put down these donuts. See, we, we, think, we think in the spiritual world, we think that information equals transformation. The, the, the more you do, the more you pray, the more you read, oh, I got, I got to go deep. I got to go deep in my study with Jesus. You can go as deep as you want. But I'll tell you this, you're only as deep as the last person you serve. Just throwing that out there. You, you can go as deep as you want. You can have all the information, all the knowledge about Jesus. If you don't apply it, it's not going to transform you. Like, that's not what equals out the equation. Because I'm sitting there going, well, I know I shouldn't be eating this donuts, but God, I love donuts. Love them. Donuts are amazing. Amen? But I probably shouldn't be eating this donuts. And you know what? I got a gym membership. And I drive by that stinking gym every single day on my way to work. I probably shouldn't drive by it anymore. I should probably actually go in there. And when I go in there, I shouldn't talk to anybody. Like, I just shouldn't do anything. Like, I should, I should probably, like, actually use the machines. Like, I should put forth some effort. And, 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 and over the past few months, change has been taking place in my life. But it wasn't the information that changed my life. It was the application of the information that is leading to transformation in my life. In the church world, in the spiritual, it's the same thing application of information equals transformation. Herod had all the information he needed to meet Jesus, and he refused to meet him because he refused to call somebody else king. And this is important. This is in the text, so I'm just going to throw this out there. The scholars that quoted the verse about Jesus were the same group of people around 33 years later that were involved in the movement to kill Jesus. Because don't miss this, they recognized Jesus as a religious figure. They just didn't see him as king. Do you see him as king? Do we see him as a king? Do you know that we can tell if Jesus is king by the way we pray? See, if Jesus is king, then we can pray a prayer like this. Well, let me set this up because I've been, I've been challenged by this all week. So I'm going to challenge you to do it as well. What if we prayed a prayer and, and, and this is a prayer in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not making this up. What if we could pray this prayer right here? This is a Jesus is king type prayer. It says, it's found in Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Next verse. Point out, I'll go back to this. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is a prayer that will change people. Try that this week. Just pray it every every, every morning. Get up. Pray those two verses and then just sit for a minute and listen. It will change you. I promise because God will start pulling some stuff out of you. Anyways, keep going in the story. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He kicked all the religious people out because he had a plan. 
And he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Now, you would all agree with me that there are some people that are hard to love. Am I right? Don't point. Don't, don't point. Some people are hard to love. Um, the other day, again, this goes to my traffic problem. I was driving down the road, and seriously, this happened to me a few days ago. I was driving behind a Buick and they were going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. I'm a 10-mile-an-hour over guy. Like, I, I, anybody else? Like, I'm 10 miles over. They're 10 miles under. I got to get somewhere. I don't even know where I was going. I don't even remember. But I had to get somewhere. And now they're going slow. And there are cars coming. There are cars lined up behind me. And it's just absolutely crazy. And I'm angry. The person in front of me is hard to love. Everybody in this room knows somebody. You have somebody in your life that's hard to love. Now, I know there's somebody here today that's like, there's nobody in my life that's hard to love. You're probably the person in somebody else's life that's hard to love. So you really need to lean into this situation right here, all right? We, we all got people <laughs> that are hard to love. Here's what I've discovered. When Jesus isn't king, we will use people rather than love them. When Jesus isn't king, we will use people rather than love them. But the closer we get to Jesus, the more we love people, the less likely we are to use people. That's why, that's why I tell single people all the time, date somebody that's pursuing Jesus. Because if they're pursuing Jesus, they're less likely to use you and more likely to love you. And so the, the, other, the other day, back to that story because you want to know how it ends. Um, there's this car in front of me and, and I'm trying to hold it together. And, and finally there's an opening. I'm going to go around this car. And I'm not going to flip the bird because I've repented from that. I don't, I don't do that anymore for like the past eight weeks. Um, but, but I was, I was going to give this person the stink eye. Know what I'm talking about? Everybody knows, right? You probably got that from Pastor Ryan one time because you were driving too slow. And so I go around and I'm pulling up and I'm getting there and I'm like, <sighs> and I look over and it's this little old lady and she's up against the steering wheel like this, just scared to death. And I looked away as fast as I could because the Holy Spirit's like, what's up now, jerk? Like, how are you feeling about this now? Now, the only reason I share that story is because every once in a while, every once in a while, I, I, like, I get it right. I, I do. Um, and so I like to let you know because, like, I always share with you my get it wrong illustrations. Um, and that's plenty, I promise. But what happens is when we get closer to Jesus and he becomes our king, we, we, just, we just love people. and We're not mean to them. We love them instead of using them. Herod was using the wise men because this is his plan. You go find Jesus and you come back here and tell me. And what he had planned is he was going to go kill Jesus so nobody could call him king and he could stay king. And then he was going to kill the wise men. It's amazing. When we get close to the work of God, because Herod is is close to a work of God right here, right? God is, is, is leading the wise men to Jesus and, and Herod is, is in the middle of all this, and they have this meeting, and they're talking about the Bible, and they're doing this. It's amazing when we get close to the work of God, how quickly the enemy will compel us to try to kill that work of God. When we begin to do what God has called us to do, to step into it, the enemy is going to try to pull us away all the time and try to convince us of something else and try to convince us, no, you're not being a part of the work of God. So this happens, verse 9, this is crazy. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It's funny to me. They met the religious scholars and then still had to use the star because the religious scholars were further away from Jesus than they were. That's crazy. Again, it's in the text, so I want to point it out. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place 
where the child was. Wouldn't it be great if God so operated that way? Like with a star? Like you're praying about something, a star just appears. Like, wouldn't that be great? God, who am I supposed to date? The star just shines over them, and you're like, yes! Or you're like, ooh. Is there like a star B or D or Z or something? Like crazy. God, where am I supposed to work? And a star just shines above the place. Like, that, that would be great. I, thought, I, I think it'd be great if you're just praying and a star just shines above where you're supposed to go. Well, God tells us, hey, you know what? You've got something better than the stars. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if you listen to him, he'll guide you way better than a star. We have the Holy Spirit. But the wise men, they're following the star. And then I love this. I love this. I love this. I love it. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with what? with joy. They were filled with joy. That, that's what a voyage toward Jesus is. A voyage filled with joy. I'm not saying that life's not going to suck sometimes. I'm not saying there aren't going to be hard times, but we will experience joy in our voyage with Jesus. Because then the Bible says this, verse 11, this is the verse y'all hate. They entered the what? Come on, what's it say? Oh, stay with me, computer people. They entered the what? I just thought, I didn't know it wasn't up there. I thought you didn't want to say it. Where they entered? The what? Just want to make sure you know. The house. Listen, I know I say this every year, and I know it upsets everybody, but we're allowing tradition to to take away one of the basic tenets of Scripture. We, we, We just are. And that's not something that we can do. I know your nativity scene is nice. I know it's expensive, but these guys entered a house. And, and, and you can't come up to me and be mad and say, but Pastor Ryan, it's this. And you're not, no, 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 no. Because when you do that, then you're going to come up to me and you're going to say, well, Pastor Ryan, you know, I'm not sure that this is what the Bible says for today either. I'm just throwing that out there. Entered the house, saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Because that's what you do when you meet a king. They got it right. Right from the start. They don't know any scriptures, but they come into the presence of Jesus. And when they come into the presence of Jesus, they bow down because they knew he was king. That's what you do when you know Jesus is king. We worship. We don't just show up. We worship. When we know Jesus is king, we worshiped. So they worshiped. And then they opened their treasure chests. Notice plural. There's more than one. There wasn't just one treasure chest. And it probably, listen, you've seen treasure chests. You've seen the Goonies. You know when they open up the treasure chest, they find the rich stuff. It's just flowing out, right? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in there. And we have these pictures of it just being one little thing that I'm going to carry in. And we open it up. And the frankincense is just glowing. And the gold bar is just there. No, treasure chests. And they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So three gifts mentioned. Were there tons of gifts? I don't know. Probably. Matthew just maybe didn't want to write them all. But those are three things that are there. There's also three things that are in prophecy, but just want to throw that out there. This is crazy. Because again, the nativity scene, everybody has the barn, right? But Mary and Joseph are in the house. They've upgraded from the sheep cave, found them a nice little house, got a good interest rate, little starter home, right? Got a little crib, from Italy for baby Jesus. The wise men show up and they got gifts. And if you're Joseph and Mary and they knock on your door and these men come and they've got all of this stuff, you're like, huh, 
this is different. Like there's all of these people outside of the house. And then they start bowing down and worshiping your kid and they open up the treasure chest and you're like, I don't know, this is super cool though. Like they're excited, right? Think, think about this in modern day terms. If you're Joseph and somebody shows up and opens up a suitcase that's full of stacks of $100 bills and they're giving them to your kid, are you excited, yes or no? That's what's going on. They're giving. They're, don't miss this, they're giving. Because that's what you do when Jesus is king. Maybe for somebody here, that's your next step, to put him first in giving. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, my gosh, this is a church, and here, they're after our money. Hold, hold on to your purse, Sally. You're, you're right. This is a church, right? You're right. But I'm not after your money. This church isn't after your money. But I will tell you this. Jesus is after your heart. And people who recognize Jesus as king give. I'll move on. When it was time to leave, verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now this is verses loaded, and I had this really cool illustration to share here, um, but I'm, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to save it for next week, so you're going to have to come back for Christmas. But here's the point. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same. He's going to change your life by making changes in your life. Because when you meet Jesus, he, he's going to come in and he's going to eventually say, hey, there, there's some things you need to rearrange. Like, can, can we maybe move this around a little bit? And, and some of the moves that he wants to make are absolutely uncomfortable. But it always makes things better. See, the, the wise men, they meet Jesus. And again, look at this. They returned to their own country by another route because you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. By the way, don't miss this. Had they stayed on their route, the route they wanted to go, they would have been killed. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. They meet Jesus, and Jesus sends them on another direction. And then, watch this. This is great. This is how it ends. Um, how did they get to Jesus? By following a star. But what happened after they met Jesus? Look at this. God warned them in a dream. The communication got more personal. It got more intimate. It went from a star to a dream. It went from something out there to God started working in here and eventually in here. God will always get more personal the more we allow him to rearrange things in our lives. Where are you in this voyage? Where are you? Because again, you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. You can't have an encounter with Jesus and remain the same. And, and, and so let me ask you this question. I'll close it out like this. What do I need to surrender today that Jesus is asking me to give over to him? What do I need to surrender to acknowledge him as king, because the wise men, they surrendered, they gave, they bowed, they worshiped. What is it you need to surrender? Because Herod wouldn't surrender. He wouldn't. He was his own king. Who is yours? What is yours? See, Jesus, when he says, follow me, it's an invitation not into condemnation. It's, it's an invitation of just, hey, let's go. Come on, follow me. Because he knows as we follow him, things like guilt fall away. Things like shame go away. Chains are broken in our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups and our addictions. The closer we get to Jesus, the less those things have a pull on our lives. And so I'm going to ask you this question. What will it take for you to make him king? Put aside the chaos. Put it all aside. And, and look at him and ask yourself that question. Is he king and if not, what do I need to do to make him king? Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to pray right now that we would pause over these next few moments and place ourselves in a position of surrender. That we would literally ask the question, Jesus, what do you want to do in me? 
As a matter of fact, as we sing this song, as we, as we listen to Augustine sing, I want you just to ask yourself that question. Jesus, what do you want to do in me? For some of us, it might mean we need to start doing something. For others, it might mean stop doing something. For all of us, we've got a step to take. And so Jesus made these next few moments. May we take them and think about the fact that we don't want to just surrender some. We want to surrender all. And as we navigate through the Christmas chaos, we want you to be king in our lives. Maybe today Jesus isn't king of your life. You've never acknowledged him as king, and maybe that's the step you need to take. Maybe you're wrestling with something. Maybe something's going on. You have acknowledged him king. Maybe you need to pray with someone for something. During this song that we feel in the back corners of our sanctuary, he'd love to pray with you and for you. Use this time as an opportunity. Use this time to communicate with your king. Jesus, we love you, and we all want to acknowledge you as king. We're thankful for you in our lives. We praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen.